name is Carrie Shaw, and I'm a soprano with Ensemble Dal Niente, and I'm here with Noor Slim, the composer of one of the works on our concert, Humming Between Branches. Hi, Carrie. It's Hello. So, I am so happy to, that you play my song. We are so excited. It's such a beautiful piece, so full of color and texture, and it's, it's a wonderful work. Oh, thank you. I'm shy. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how the work came into being. How did it start? Where did you where did you come up with the ideas? Um, okay, with my English. Uh, just with a poem, I have a friend, uh, two friends, uh, Guadalupe Galvan and Brian Allen, and they give me two poems. And with the males, with my friends, I just collect branches and make a good tree. <laughs> That's, <the> <laughs> That's so beautiful. So did you know who you were writing for? Which soprano you were writing for? Uh, I, in my class, in my composition class, I am in the university yet. So we have uh, one of our partners, una compañera, mm -hmm. ¿sí? she's a soprano, one of the students. And we are bothering her, mm -hmm. molestándola. Uh -huh. That's why I, that's it. It's uh, like playing for a kids, no? Because <laughs> she's in the class and I say, what's the highest note you can sing? I, I'm gonna write, I'm gonna write an in pianissimo. <laughs> That's why it's a little crazy because it was a game in in the classroom. That's why. And then it sounds so good, so and it was so beautiful. But it starts with a game with Victoria, that it's my partner in the class. That's why it's crazy, the part of the soprano. It really is. I mean, but also very beautiful. And I, I think any soprano would want to sing this, even with the high note. <laughs> oh, and also I love uh, songwriting, songwriting. So for me, even if it's contemporary music or classical music, it's important that contains like a song. So you ah. can, because I am a guitar player at the beginning. So for me, it needs to be like a melody and Como cantable. Mm -hmm. Cantable. Cantable. <laughs> so what was your favorite part of the piece to compose? I think like stop light. Uh, yeah. The part with the viola. <laughs> yeah. It's my favorite part because uh, viola and soprano, it's onusha. Onusha. Unusual. <laughs> but for me, I want that the viola are like uh, the guitar. Mm. So I put a crazy things and they ima imagine, mm -hmm. the the that the dark and just the red stoplight. Mm. That so I I love to write that to think about that you are in the middle of nothing and just this red. Top light, maybe you can will crazy because it's hard. <laughs> and when I listen, when other people play this part, they 
make crazy and I like <laughs> <the grace>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so where did you come up with the idea for the bassoon ah, the bassoon it was at the beginning for a trombone oh because I have a good friend Brian Allen who is the guy who write with Guadalupe Galvan the poem the poem and then in the Sepro Music Ensemble that they they had the world premiere of this uh, work and they don't have trombone so they have bassoon and I changed to the bassoon and it was funny super funny so for me it was so good the bassoon I think that I like to compose with all the instruments that I have, and if the instrument change, I want to change with the instruments. Mm. Uh -huh. Beautiful. I want to make sure that I asked all the correct questions. Hold on. Uh, let's see. Um, question. Uh, sorry. Next text. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, one more question. Um, I'm very curious about the poetry and and the language. Um, do the the Latin sounding words that are in some of the um, movements, the things that sound like um, plant names? Plants, um, caprifolium. Ah, caprifolium. Ah. Is that are those invented or are those real things? Are real thing? Are real words? <laughs> because uh, like so five... the scientific name of some plants. Uh -huh, are the scientific okay. words? I have my last word before coming between branches. I make an album just about flowers because I love ah. botanica, but I don't know how to say botanica. No, that um, botanics. botanics. Yeah, yeah. makes well, sense. Plant, plants and flowers. Plant uh -huh. life. So I studied a lot about the real name of the flowers, at the meaning, and the what do they need to survive. Mm. So I, I I am in love of, of flowers and plants. That's mm. why I love that words. That when when you are singing, that words are so beautiful and they. They have a different meaning, and it's it's so beautiful for me. Hmm. Did you make all of the drawings for the uh, extended techniques for the the blowing and? I have a couple of of drawings. Also, I promised to send you. Because. Yes, yes, yes. I I have a lot of drawings because. Uh, before to compose something, uh, I do everything with my hand and draws and recollect poems or I don't know, como pedazos de cosas. Pieces of things. Uh, mm -hmm. To make the song. And I want to share you because you and Ben tell me, no, if I have something before the score. Yes, I have a lot. Also because I studied first jazz. Oh, yes. Then I changed my career to compose and compose, but in classical. So it was so difficult for me uh, 
all of the classical music and the, com and the contemporary music. So this word, it was the first word that I, como lo logré. So I have a lot of these um, things that to have my first good word. Mm. Do you still want to have some uh, sounds of jazz in your music? Some ideas of jazz in your music? I don't know. My teacher, he doesn't like. <laughs> 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 I, I don't know. But I understand him because he said that sometimes you are in, your, in that song that you think that you are so good. And he said that I need to change if I want to make a real good music and it will be a lot of years doing great music, but if I just choose the notes that I know, I never will be a better musician. Mm -hmm. That's why I prefer don't use anything that I learned before to be mm -hmm. with my new teacher, to be a, a new Noor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's good. This was really wonderful. And I'm so happy. Are, are there any things that you want uh, to tell me about the piece for my own self for performing? Oh, well, well thank you for playing no, for me it's a, an honor i am super fan of your ensemble and i listen a couple of you a lot of you together and it's so good for me today uh, i me the violist write me and i say well you do whatever you want your version for me it's okay because i am from the jazz school so for me improvise it's okay that you change something it's okay because each one of you are unique, so I can say that you can repeat the same version, like separate music. No, mm -hmm. I want like ensemble that Niente has. Uh, you have your own version, and it will be awesome for me. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Yay! Yeah, and I am so so happy. I want to hear, and also if there will be no pandemia. I want to be, I will be in Chicago. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> yes. Well, I'll be inside of a safety suit, I think. <laughs> with oh. like everything will be plastic around me and yeah. <laughs> oh, well also for me, it's a good news that you continue making music because it was a lot of music that just stopped this year. So it's amazing that continue even with pandemia and with yeah. astronauts. So Are you done with school? <laughs> no, I think that I'll never because they hate me. <laughs> <laughs> and the worst student. <laughs> I hope one day <laughs> I finish that school. <laughs> yes, it's difficult. That but I hope one day. Also, I continue composing every day, and bleh. one day I will have that. <laughs> the paper. <laughs> the paper. The paper. Yeah. That paper. Well, All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. And I feel so comfortable that it will be around because my English is like so mixed text. <laughs> oh. <laughs>
all in present or all in past, or all in future, <laughs> no time. I think that's the future of English. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Carrie, and see you soon. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm Emma Hospelhorn. I'm the flutist for Dalmiente. Did I know? <laughs> and um, can you say who you are? Um, my name is Tania Leon, composer, conductor, and educator. Oh, wonderful. Okay, and so we are playing De Memorias, and you're, uh, can you just tell me that again about how it came to be or what the, what the ideas are? Well, the Memorias is actually a piece dedicated to my teacher, Alfredo Diaz Nieto which now is about 102 or 103. I mean, it's, it's spectacular. And uh, he is in La Habana, Cuba. And, uh, but I uh, wrote the, the piece here, just thinking of him. Sometimes I think of my teachers. I still remember my teacher when I was a child, you know? Yeah. I mean, her name was Doro. And uh, Your anyway, I mean- Your first composition teacher? No, uh, no, 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 piano teacher. I uh, became a composer in the United States. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you weren't a composer in, in Cuba? No, 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 I was training to be a pianist and I really was pursuing uh, a pianistic career, you know, as a concert pianist. But uh, in Cuba, I wrote some songs and things like that because my brother used to have a little combo you know, we call it a combo as a leader ensemble. Yeah. And uh, him and I used to sing together. And uh, I don't know. I mean, we would write songs and, and sing the songs and be part of the repertoire of the combo. So one of these songs, you know, was heard by somebody that knew a, a, a very, you know, a famous singer. And she, she sang the song and I freaked out completely. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah, yeah, song? yeah. Can I still hear uh, this song? Can I like go online and hear this song? Well, um, no, no. She passed away. Oh. And, you know, the song was called Ciego Reto. And it was a bossa nova. Oh, <laughs> so cool. And you, you would normally play the piano in the. Um, well, I mean, sometimes I would play the piano, but it depends on what he needed. Sometimes I was a drummer. Wow. Sometimes, sometimes I had to play the upright, upright bass. <laughs> you know, we, we just, I mean, you know, we can, out of the conservatory, we all, you know, we're doing all kinds of things and improvising and, and you know, yeah. making. Amazing. <laughs> it was very, very rewarding, very rewarding. And a lot of music in the house and my grandmother loved it. <laughs> wow. So, and then, so then you, she sang your song and you said, oh, maybe I should be writing music? No, necessarily. No, 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 no. I mean, uh, my writing music happened after I arrived in this country. And uh, within the year I met uh, Arthur Mitchell and he changed my life completely because uh, he spoke with me about 
a project that he has in my, he had in mind, and uh, he wanted me to. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a long story, but I mean, I mean, it was a chance encounter. Uh, the, the fact that we met, and he heard me play the piano, and he asked me, you know, if I would play the piano for him, and all of this. I mean, with a lot of signals because I didn't speak I didn't speak English. <laughs> it was really. Funny. And, um, you know, I mean, the project became the Dance Theatre of Harlem. Yeah. And then, you know, being the pianist and the musician, the first musician in the company, he asked me, why not, you know, would you write a ballet and I'm going to do the choreography? Because everything that I was playing was not with books. Everything was improvised. Yeah. So you, so you did the choreography that... I, I did that ballet. <laughs> it's called Tones, and um, it, it was something else, you know, I, I remember I went to the library, I took theory, um, you know, theory books and things like that, and that was when I was actually getting in, uh, into NYU to enroll, to validate my degree from Cuba wow. as a pianist. As a, oh, as a pianist. As a pianist, right, 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 right. And not only when I saw the ballet on stage with the lights, the dancers, the audience, you know, and, and that's when I said, I better study composition. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So when you're, when you're writing the ballet, uh, did you have a vision in mind or an idea? The vision was him. <laughs> you okay. know? He would say, follow me, and he would show me um the the rhythmical syntax of the movement mm -hmm. you know and that is how i started sort of like making sense and you know i mean this is sort of like a, a comic book you know i mean that is reference when the movement almost mirrored the sound you know at, at times i did that and at times i just went totally away from the movement and did something else but um, that ballet is very rhythmical because, I mean, that's the only thing that I could hold down into in order to, to get this piece together. And, yeah. um, but it was a revelation. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Amazing. And then, so let's jump forward. What, uh, what inspired you to write uh, this wind quintet? Well, I told you, you know, I mean, uh, you know, after uh, Dancing at Harlem, I sort of like... Um, came down to Manhattan because at Dance Theatre of Harlem, we were in Harlem, you know. I was there, you know, literally the first 12 years of my arrival in, in the United States, or the 12 first years of the company, per se. Yeah. Right. And then, um, you know, I started writing chamber music and getting into the community, you know, meeting a lot of musicians, and, and it was a spectacular moment, you know, because, um, I sort of like became part of Chamber Music America, you yeah. know? Yeah. And uh, I don't know if it was called that way, but um, it was with Margaret Jerry. She was the one, in uh, you know, in charge. But that is how I met Virgil Thompson, for example. And, um, you know, I mean, John Cage and uh, all of these incredible uh, new names in my life that uh, I had no clue about. Because when I came here, I just knew about Leonard Bernstein and Aaron Copeland. You okay. see? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, in, in, in Cuba, 
we studied the contemporaries of our time. Of course, yeah. The, the Cuban composers that were living composers. Yeah. We learned them and we actually, you know, um, integrated it into our repertoire. So that was an emphasis, you know, perhaps to give support or lend support to the voices of the time. Yeah. But not so much about the American scene. Right. It's much more the European scene, you know, studying perhaps Stravinsky, you know, which was very, very in at that time. Yeah. And um, different composers and, and like that. But uh, I knew about um, Rhapsody in Blue, for example. I knew Rhapsody in Blue and American in Paris. Yeah. And I, 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 I knew Cubano, you know, and the thing that I knew about Leonard Bernstein was West Side Story. To the point that, you know, because on television they showed a, a clip of the film. And uh, it's, a, it's an anecdote of my life. When I arrived in New York, that my friends picked me up mm-hmm. and we drove to the Bronx where they lived. I saw for the first time the buildings with the, the fire stairs on the outside. Yeah. And I started screaming, Maria, Maria, <laughs> because <laughs> I've seen the clip of <laughs> Little Bursting yeah. singing Maria. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I love that song, yeah. My friends, I mean, they said, Maria, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's great. <laughs> That's great. I do, yes, no, I'm Maria. <laughs> those, those were my English words. <laughs> that's amazing. But it's also like that's so tied to, again, that's like music tied to place, right? Because you see that fire is... Exactly, exactly. You know, I mean, cause, I mean, come on, you know, I have just arrived in the States and I arrived at midnight <laughs> at Kennedy. Wow. So, I mean, when we entered in the Bronx and I saw these buildings, that's what it flashed to me. I mean, the Maria song and, and this yeah. fellow, you know what I mean, singing there. And You're yeah. in New York and it's like the old... Oh, oh, oh my, forget it. Yeah. This is the first time that I went to Harlem that coincidentally, you know, I mean, Mitchell and I went to the same place and that's how I met him. But uh, the first time that I took the, the train to Harlem, it was like, Harlem, the one in the in the movies, you know. I mean, it was like, you know, yes. Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, I I loved uh, those first twelve years of of uh, my uh, getting into the um, American scene and American culture and everything. Working in Harlem, you know. I mean, the the neighbors. We gave a scholarship to the kids, you know, and yeah. learn music and also movement. And the neighbors would invite us to, to have soul food, for example. And the dancer would teach me how to, to dance all of the dances of the time. <laughs> you know? I mean, it was just amazing. Amazing every time I, I think about that moment. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. And, then, and then this, so this music, this music for De Memorias, that's the music of, you said, of life in Cuba, rather. Right. Well, I mean, it's actually in my memories of, of course, I mean, a sophisticated way of, of having a memory of Cuba and thinking of the foliage 
Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of birds, for example. Is the flute a bird? Yeah. One of them. Okay, one of them, yeah. <laughs> it could be a bird, it could be a breeze. Yeah. It could be ruffling, you know, the, the, the leaves, you see. Because, I mean, it's, it's, it's very green. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and flowers, and uh, it's, it's hard to describe. It's what the people think about the islands, you know? I mean, because, it's, you know, you're surrounded by the sea, the humidity. I mean, the plants, all of them thrive. So yeah. that is something that I, I, I adore. I adore plants, you know? And, uh, and I was thinking about my teacher, you know? I, as I told you, I have very fond memories of my teachers and... And now is that I understand the emphasis that they made at uh, giving me the knowledge that they had. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember my solfege teacher, Tete, you know, was her name. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, I mean, you know, you know, when you grow older, you start actually reviewing the different um, episodes and the different cycles of your life. So yeah. that is, was one moment that I wrote that piece. That's beautiful. And I've never, I've never, um, I don't think, played a piece that was composed quite this way with the, um, with these rep- repetitive figures, like this sort of strange, like ostinato or montuno or something, right? And then we get to sort of overlap um, and the notation seems very free and yet pretty specific at the same time. So it, I had a different experience of time playing it. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the thing is that you have to be free but alert. Yes. <laughs> you have to be very alert because, you know, I mean, your freedom has, uh, it, it looks prolonged when you're, what you, when you're in it. It's like walking in a garden, right? And all of a sudden you see something and you go like, boom, you know? And in that boom, you merge with other instruments. But you yeah. have to be very, very, very careful. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it it'll it's seductive, right? You can kind of get a little bit lost and oh I'm doing my beautiful flute cadenza and wait, I was supposed to line this note up. <laughs> right? And you're very specific the way you, you say where to line up. Yeah. Um and meanwhile, uh you know, you have these other instruments who are just engaged in their own extremely specific rhythm. Yes. Has no set end, right? Because we have the freedom to expand and to contract. Exactly, exactly. However, there are moments where, for example, a duet mm-hmm. starts sort of like walking together. You yeah. see? And uh, in the midst of all of that forest, you see? And that uh, these two musicians, or the, you know, instrumentalists, they have to concentrate. Yeah. So, not to get away with what is going on. And that is the beauty, uh, at, at least for me, that had to do with uh, my own walking, you know, going to the conservatory. And that's sort of like what I said about the routine I used to go to the conservatories Tuesdays and Fridays, you see. Yeah. So that were my days. Very intense, a lot of hours there, but only Tuesdays and, and Fridays because sometimes on Tuesdays they will tell you, okay, you have to memorize this feud by Friday. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. 
Uh, it was something else. But uh, by Friday, you go and you play your fugue. And uh, it's interesting, I mean, among the musicians or the composers that I adore, completely adore, is Johann Sebastian Bach, you see? Oh. Well, let me tell you something, at that time, I couldn't take it. I just, you told me Bach, and I would run away. <laughs> because Why? it was too complicated. <laughs> no. Well, the pianist, right? Like you have to play the symphonias, you have to play... I mean, not only that, I mean, all those fugues, and then the teacher tell you, well, but what I mean, well, this is the first voice, but I mean, the second voice, you're not actually bringing out the second voice. I mean, it was like, oh my God, who is this guy who wrote this? <laughs> I was just, I, I didn't like him at all. Wow, that's... Amazing. I remember those fugues. I think that's why I quit piano. <laughs> yeah, because you're right. It's so hard to bring the voices. But now I'm, yeah, I'm thinking about, ooh. but then in your, in your music, you have these voices, but they're, they're coming They're I'm thinking about this in a different way now. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. No, I mean, you know, absolutely. I feel that all of us get influenced when we least expect it. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I adore Bach. Yeah. And now, you know, I have some of my books from Havana and I go to the piano and I play the pieces. So, and now I understand. I said, Jesus, I mean, this guy was a genius, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's always a melody. Even, I mean, I mean yeah. unbelievable. And the amount of music he wrote. Yeah. Oh my God. Every day, a new piece, right? Maybe Tuesday to Friday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I bought this in a wedding and my church. I mean, it's like, wow. Yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Oh, wow. That's so great. And then what it, um, did you ever, so you played piano, you played drums, you play upright bass. Did you ever play a wind instrument? Oh, yes. I studied at NYU. Yeah. Two instruments, you know, which I adore writing for those instruments now. And those were the bassoon and the trombone. Oh, so cool. In fact, I have to look for, uh, I, I must have a picture of me playing the trombone. I mean, I wish I find it, but. Uh, I would love to see that picture. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so the long wind instruments, that's amazing. And. Yeah, I just think those those instruments have such amazing timbre, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And I love the flute. I must. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, and even in Cuba, uh, the flute is very important in in the, the the music of the culture of Cuba. Yeah, it's all over the popular music, right? Like everything. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. You know exactly. And uh, I learned a lot, you know, listening to that music, you know, and I dance salsa, for example, but you have to see, I mean, you have to be very mindful of the polyrhythmia that is going on. Mm -hmm. So you know exactly how to sway <laughs> and you don't start going against the music, you know? Yeah. But in the middle of all of that, the flute comes in and makes a solo. <laughs> yes. And they sometimes use the violins. 
I mean, it's like a very interesting uh, ensemble on yeah. instrumentation, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the flute's always like skating over everybody else, right? It's very high. Yeah. Very high. It's like if there is a trumpet involved, very high. <laughs> <laughs> the big range. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, this is such a, this is been this is so amazing i have just one more one more like composition question for you i think which uh -huh. is um do you have like one sort of process or way you work when you're sort of sitting down to write a piece or is it different every time or well um first of all for me to write a piece i have to first fix my drawers <laughs> your drawers yes i had to have things in order <laughs> And uh, if, it, if, if I don't have to fix some books, I have to fix something. But it's like my mind has a process, of course, if I am home, you know. But uh, I can write in a park and I can write in a plane. I can write anywhere, you see. But I have to have things in order and I don't know why. It's sort of like it opens something. I'm talking about when I am at home. Yeah, and you have your... My... my, my you know, computer or to the piano or to, you know, but I write first and then I check, you see? Mm -hmm. And uh, I write a piece and I don't redo the piece. I don't review the piece. No. When I said this piece is done, that's the piece. I don't go back. Wow. Because I want to capture the moment. And uh, for me, you know, for me, I could definitely um, realize that, that that moment two, three weeks from now, is not me because I have already grown to become some, somebody else. Yeah. I mean, each piece for me is like a snapshot of who I was at that moment, you see? Yeah. There's only one piece that I am actually not reviewing, but redoing in a way. And it's a song cycle that I am actually doing right now in collaboration with a poet called Carlos Pintado. And, uh, and uh, it's interesting because the bookends of the piece are in English and the other um, songs in the middle are in Spanish. Wow. So... So is that the same? Did you do it that way before? No, it's the first time I do this. The first time. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's beautiful. I can't yeah. wait. I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> well, Tanya Leon, this was amazing. Thank you so much for talking to me. Oh, my God. We could be talking for, for could, years. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I feel like... You know, you're interviewing me, but now I, I would love to interview you. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, yeah, this is, I mean, I would love to do this, do this again and, and talk to you more. And I just like, I, after talking to you, I'm even more excited about this piece. Um, oh. I was really enjoying it, but I have so many questions. Um, but yeah, I thank you for giving me your time. Thank and, you. Yeah. And is it, would it be okay if, uh, if we come up with other questions in our next rehearsal? This was a loose yes. question. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you want to actually have a session, you know, I mean, for me to, to coach or 
or to give you some ideas, feel free. Oh, that would be amazing. I will take that to the rest of the quintet because I think it would be useful. Because we like, uh, I looked up some of the performances and I think we were kind of taking clues from them because you worked with the Ensemble Connect, right? Oh my God. We worked a lot. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I was there at Carnegie Hall with them and then, you know, I mean, yeah. Okay, I just was like, I was like, if they do it that way, may, that means she told them to do it that way. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> they are urtext right now. Yes. yes. That's what I figured. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's helpful. Just are you guys going to play it standing up or? or? I don't think we talked about it uh, when we rehearsed. Well, we, you know, this time is so crazy. So I know, I know, I know. So we were in our conductor's backyard where like, and I built this screen out of like PC, PVC and a shower curtain so that, you know, I'm not spinning. Of course, everything. of course, of course. Yeah. And so I think, how are we doing it? I think we were all, yeah, we were standing when we rehearsed the first time, but we haven't talked about it. Would you have preference? Oh, I love, you know, I mean, the, the standing type of situation because you know what? You have to move. Yeah. Yeah, you have to like exactly, exactly. Side piece. Exactly, exactly. Of course, I mean now the one that they put out, you know, they 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 were choreographed. Of course. Oh, you you haven't seen the one the the, the version that, that is out? Wait, I just saw a YouTube video of like in, in Carnegie Hall or something. There's a you know with an audience. Yeah. Well, that that is choreographed. I have to look again. I think I was so, f I was looking at the score and I wasn't like watching. Watch them. Watch them. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> they loved it so much that they said, we want a choreography. <laughs> you know? That's yeah. amazing. Okay. So it's really the visual is, and um, it's interesting, you know, as we're trying to figure out how to do concerts without concerts. You know, well, so I think that you know, the whole myth about classical music, devoid classical music from its own spirit. Yes. I have been working or have worked in, in fact, I cannot go right now on someone modern is gonna play one of my pieces next month in, yeah. in, in Germany. When I went there and I saw these people playing Brahms for the first time, I went, wow. It sounds like a different brands. Mm -hmm. They were the entire orchestra was like, what? They were just moving and like really playing it or? Yeah. Yeah, it's. So the music was like doing all kinds of things. Because we can get in a box sometimes, right? With the well, but you know, the tendency have been that the the, the 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 teachers that we had, you know, with with all due respect, that was what was happening. Yeah, you know, they would tell the pianists, "Don't move." Right, it's like, don't move. The flutist, don't move. The singer, singing head, don't move. The rest of the, you know. Right. It's totally divorced from like, you know, dance and, and movement and it's just like divorced from the passion that you may feel 
you know? And I said that, you know, okay, the singer's gonna sing that way. And then I see Victoria de Los Angeles, you know, and Carlos, they were crazy. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I don't mean doing the opera, when they were doing their recitals. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like, I mean, the body is to express. Yeah. And you, we understand more if, if we see somebody play and they move the way they, they show us, right? Like I, their I, concept I, they, you can see the, the emotion, the passion that all of a sudden is in front of you. And, and, and all of a sudden the music becomes something else. Yeah. It's not only from here up. Yeah. What because about the heart? It's not just operating a machine, right? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's something different. And, so, and that is what has made millions of people run away from it. I say, oh, no, you know? Right. Like, oh, it's too fussy. I like the real music, but... Exactly. So one of the things that really, really uh, impressed me here is when I started listening to the jazz uh, orchestras or the jazz groups and everything, you know, they are able to do everybody together. I mean, without a conductor, <laughs> you know, you know, yeah, because they are in sync and they move and they know, and they're all the conductor. They can, their whole body is the conductor. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And here, you know, most of the time, you you know, string quartet, somebody has to tell, well, we're gonna look at each other. Well, no, no, I'm gonna look at you at this moment, and then I'm gonna give you the upbeat. I mean. <laughs> I know this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In other words, the music gets very uptight. Yeah. Everybody looks uptight. Yeah, they look worried. A lot of worry going on. <laughs> they were like, oh God, are we going <laughs> to... But I think we're trying, you know, I think we're we're... So now everybody's liberating themselves. You know, this is what I feel, you know. First of all, the composers are writing whatever they want to write. They're not writing anymore serialism and 12 tones and this and that, you know. I mean, everybody's writing which, whichever influence they want to. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's great freedom. Exactly. Which is- And so that, that's something that I have been uh, really pursuing freedom in my music. Yeah. Well, so that that's that's what you have in front of you <laughs> that's so exciting so the, yeah i i feel it i see it you know in the in the notation and everything tanya i want to like get a coffee with you sometime if like oh, yeah, no, no. I mean, we all are gonna go crazy when this whole thing stops <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> well yeah, what is it i'm very honored you know that you guys are going to be playing my music. I mean, you're a terrific, terrific ensemble. Thank you. And, uh, you know, so I feel... I'm, I'm so excited to play it. I, I have many. <laughs> yeah. Thanks again so much for taking the time to talk yeah, to yeah, me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really appreciate it. All right, thank you, Tanya. Take care. <laughs> we have fun. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye-bye. Thank you.
everybody. Uh, Tomas and I have been chatting uh, for a while here, but we're going to pretend like we haven't and like we're mm -hmm. doing a, a formal interview. Uh, my name is Jesse Langen. I'm the guitar player for Ensemble Doniente. And my name is Tomas Huegui, and I'm the composer of one of the works uh, that is part of this program. So, Tomas, tell us about your piece. Um, the piece, it's called La Marque Songs. It's, it's part of a trilogy that I wrote um, based on this um, 1940s Argentine melodrama called Cita en la Frontera, the star of which is Libertad Lamarque, who is like a huge um, star of the 40s of the Spanish-speaking world, so to speak. She eventually moved to Mexico and from there became like a, a really huge star. Um, and it's for soprano and guitar, flute, viola, and percussion. The piece, it's an expansion of a previous piece, a duo, I wrote for uh, soprano and guitar that you, Jesse, have, have recorded. Um, so it's an expansion on that, um, not only in the instrumental forces, but also it's longer now and it's, it's, it has more sections, let's say. That's the bare bones uh, of the piece. So um, uh, I sent Tomas some questions to prep for this, uh, uh, but I'm, right now I'm going to ask him a question I didn't prep him for. I, I wonder say, if I you have. I can say I didn't know this was coming. <laughs> I didn't know this was coming, so I, I know so <laughs> you are you are better prepared for my moment than I am. But when I when I when I was trying to write out questions, I had this question in my mind that I I, I couldn't really formulate. So I wonder if you can help me make my question here. That when I think about your piece, I'm thinking ab about lots of different styles of music. And I'm thinking about these styles intersecting and, and, and sort of realizing that the styles are not necessarily very distant from each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so there is something like Webern happening in this music. Um, and, and maybe there's something superficially, uh, superficially Webern-like about the music in some, in some places, in some mm -hmm. ways. Um, there is an early 20th century pop music um, thing, obviously. Um, and then when I think about the intersection between those things and form, then I think about like, let's say Rebecca Saunders. Mm -hmm. um, I, so I wonder if you can make a better question, if you can answer a better question than the one that I'm asking about style in your piece. Mm, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I, I, style is definitely an intersection of those basically two variables that you were saying, you know, early, earlier 20th century, let's say modernist music, Weber, mm -hmm. and something more pop, you know, like, like it, 40s melodramas. Yeah, and I, I, I bet both for, let's say, a composer like Weber and for his audience, you know, especially maybe his educated audience, those things seemed more connected than they might to a modern listener. Yeah, I mean, the connection between early modernism and, like, say, cabaret style has, exactly. kind of like, uh, has been, you know, diluted by, by history, but it was definitely there. I mean, these people were having fun in places, and those places played a certain music, and that music made it into the rap. Um, right. It's just been cleaned of that. But now, but now people are going back to, to incorporating that, you know, into, yeah. into the study of that music. Um, right. Uh, uh, I do that um, uh, consciously, 
you know, um, the, the mixing of these two, you know, um, sources, let's say. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and to the beginning of your question, I would say I, I do, you, I, my default mode of orchestration tends to be pointillism. Um, but not only of orchestration, I mean, it, it goes beyond that. And, and I like the different points that partake, partake in that texture to have an expressive, emotional, and referential way, uh, yeah. weight to them, you know, that they point something, to something. Something that strikes me about the way that styles live in your piece, and maybe this is the thing that also reminds me of... of let's say Rebecca Saunders is you're not making a continuum of those things. So you're not, you're not like drawing every location between mm-hmm. let's say Webern and uh, uh, La Telenia or something like that. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you, it, it, the electronics contain the samples from the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. A- and, and it's almost like that's where that aspect of style lives. Okay. I mean, that, I don't, I'm that, not sure if I'm going to use the electronics for this version, though. I mean, we can edit that. Oh, out. Okay. Uh, so. Okay. <laughs> but let's keep going. Igor, edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, uh, so actually, we, we should talk because then this 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 affects my. Uh, are there maybe not going to be electronics? Uh, there are, uh, it's still TBD. It depends on copyright issues. Since gotcha. Library of okay. Congress is like a government agency, I need to clear some. I need some. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so, but I, I mean, have... it's it's relevant. <clears throat> Anyway, I think because the singer sings like portions of that um, of the movie and songs from the movie, so and that is replicated in the instruments too. So there is a melodramatic aspect to the to the writing too. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think but, the question is still relevant. Okay, yeah, that that there is some way. Let's say in the voice and guitar version, mm-hmm. there there is some way that um, there's there's a box around the part that's that's actually period uh period pop music style because because it's in the electronics and so so part of what makes it rich and bittersweet um uh and like tantalizing but inaccessible is this box that that one of the styles is contained inside a box it's like a little window yeah yeah, and um, you're not you're not actually trying to break us into that box. You you're leaving it. Uh, uh, it's it's the it's a it's a carrot on the end of a stick. Yeah, I I don't want to get like over sentimental about this, but the the piece is um it's very nostalgic. I mean, for me, uh, the reason I was drawn to this movie is because my my grandmother was an extra in the movie. She she's there somewhere. I can't really see her face because it's the '40s movie and it's very blurred. So, yeah. um, it, 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 in that sense, it's a very Proustian piece in that, you know, there's like this sense of nostalgia um, for my, basically my childhood. Also. And Libertana Marquez sings in the movie, and when she sings, she sings in a style that my, both my grandmothers used to imitate when they were singing. So, there's a very, yeah. you know, powerful moment there. Yeah. For me, the, the minute I saw the movie, it was like, whoa, kind of like, you know. Nostalgia yeah. overload. <laughs> you you and know, that kind of like I, propelled me to write the, the trilogy. I I wonder if those things always feel sort of in a box like that. Like my memory of listening to, you know, re- recordings that recordings that have sort of seeped into my DNA from when mm-hmm. I was little. 
I, I listen to the same recording today and it's, it's not that experience. Like I can remember what it felt like listening to those things and it's not something that can happen today to me. So I wonder if when, when, we, have, when we have those experiences of nostalgia, I wonder if they're always kind of in a box the way the electronics live in the, the uh, soprano and guitar version of your piece. Um, that, that's a, a very deep point. I, I, I don't have an answer for it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it feels kind of like overpowering, at least for maybe, you know, a few minutes and then you go back, but it feels like it's not in a box. It feels like it's kind of like unleashed. Maybe it lives in a box, but at the time that you, 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 you're under its effect, it kind of like takes over you. Is, no? that, is that the way you feel when you have the experience of nostalgia? Or is that the way you feel when you hear the recording? Or both? I mean, the, the recording triggers the nostalgia. Okay, okay, yeah, um, yeah. And it's something that I was not expecting at all. Because I was researching, you know, I was researching for, for uh, the, one of the pieces of the, of the triptych, but I was researching yeah. something else. I was researching like radio soap operas. Yeah. Um, I wasn't researching specifically melodrama, so I, I kind of like stumbled upon this. I remember this movie was part of the family, you know, um, yeah. myth. It was a family myth, like my grandmother was in a movie. Yeah. And she changed her name because she wanted to be an actress. So there, that, you know, taps upon like family history. And I, I, I found the, the movie on YouTube and I was like, whoa, I wasn't expecting it. So, um, yeah. And it was like a very aha moment. Like, okay, this is it. Let's, let's, let's work from here. So do you right now have an experience of nostalgia from the moment you saw that video in YouTube? <laughs> It's like Russians, Russian dolls of nostalgia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, most of the nostalgia is for when I was like four or five or something. Of course, yeah, but, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those moments happen every now and then, you know. You run into something yeah. that triggers uh, something that was yeah. like buried in your DNA, as you were saying before. Yeah. This, uh, this question, you know, is, is the nostalgia a, a, a thread? Mm-hmm. That every time you hear this, you know, you hear one of these recordings, it's going to trigger the nostalgia or is the nostalgia these pillars or points or pins uh, of experience brings me to my next question. Uh, <laughs> master, master Segwayer. We'll see. Uh, okay. Audience, you can be the judge if this is a good segue. But uh, <laughs> I playing, playing the guitar part. Mm-hmm. I feel, so you have, let's say in the first 10 measures of the guitar part, I think I'm not looking at the score in front of me, yeah, but first 10 measures, like maybe start from measure five, like measures five through 15 or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, uh, I have glissandi, harmonics. I don't think I have chords, um, but I have pitchless clicks. I have sustained pitches that are like arpeggios. Mm-hmm. Um, adjacent scale step motion, pizzicato. So I have all of these things in any one of those um, uh, uh, gesture environments Mm -hmm. will only last for maybe two notes or three notes. And Mm -hmm. it goes on uh, to a different kind of gesture. And then later in the piece, some of those things become quite a bit longer. So I'll have a whole section that's all chords or I'll have a section that's all harmonics. 
Um, uh, and to some extent, it goes back and forth. Um, uh, and my impression of how that interacts with the score, how that interacts with the whole piece is that there are times that we perceive the piece, you know, sort of like a choir that we perceive the piece as individual and distinct voices. Mm -hmm. And that that has to do with whether or not a particular voice is singing a particular way. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then when it's in this tighter sort of two or three notes of one, one thing and then switch environment, then it becomes more like a matrix where mm. the, the thing that we're following, the, the song that we're following is abstract and that we can't actually pin the song on any of the voices that we're, mm. we're, we're pulling something, we're pulling some sort of principle. Uh, we're, we're hearing a melody that the whole creates. Um, mm how do you feel about that characterization of your yeah i think it's it's i think it's 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 fair i mean you're you're a seasoned music player so you have like really good ears for this stuff and 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 that's that's the trajectory of the piece really it starts um the soprano is always you know a through line that connects everything i mean carrie is singing there almost for the entire time right um and then what the, the um, and her texture would you agree with this her texture maybe changes the least but that she she's singing a similar kind of texture much of the time. I mean, yeah, it's this pointillism. It's this sort of like very rapid switching between different types of characters, you know, from something more abstract to something like more uh, romantic or melodramatic or even tango sounding. Um, right. So it's this right in in that sense that the there are many different kinds of vocabulary, but the switches are are usually tight, you know, the or or, uh, or fast. The timing, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the timing in in Carrie's in Carrie's part doesn't change much, but right. the instruments do change their roles between the beginning of the piece, where it's this sort of like matrix thing you're talking about, accompanying the pointillism in a very pointillistic way, um, to eventually yeah. from those small motifs and materials, larger things are kind of like span out, and in the end, it's much more sustained. Um, that that's a formal trajectory that I. I, I kind of like very much, and it seems to be a default yeah. one for a lot of my pieces. Um, and it, in, there, in terms of the rhetoric, it's kind of traditional. You know, you start with all these smaller situations that eventually kind of like coalesce into a mm -hmm. into a larger landscape. Yeah, that. Uh, so you said this when we were chatting before we actually got going uh, mm -hmm. a minute ago, and I had to think about that. Um, uh, so let's say when I imagine. Uh, Haydn string quartet. I think of mm -hmm. it like if we were talking about it in this kind of language that you have something like this, you know, you have something that's maybe closer to this choir thing, and then you have the matrix. I mean, if, if, if we're going to uh, put that kind of thinking on sonata form, the matrix is happening during the, ex during the uh, development, development section. And then recapitulation again is, is a choir that, that has somehow learned something from the middle. Yeah. But I'm trying to think if I experience a development section that way, if I, if I experience a development section as uh, an abstracted melody or a melody of principle that I'm hearing above all of the other things. That when, I, when I think of a development section, I feel like I'm way down in the weeds. Yeah. That it doesn't feel like, you know, I, I, I guess I think of uh, Webern, 
orchestrating Bach or like Webern, Webern's orchestration of uh, his, uh, the Opus 27 yeah, yeah. piano piece. That's like, you're, you have to sit on top of it. You're not getting down into the weeds of, no. of what each individual lick is. You're, you're listening to an abstract melody, abstracted or a melody of principle or something like mm -hmm. that. So, so I'm, next time I listen, when I, when I go home now, I'm going to listen to a Haydn string quartet and see if I can hear <laughs> the development yeah, section as some kind of, if I can abstract a melody from the top of it that floats, floats above the obsessions. Yeah, but, but I feel like the, um, the, this, this sort of like layout that you're describing, you know, theme and development, later in the 20th century was reversed. So that yes. things, I, I'm thinking of uh, you're a guitar player, so uh, Britain, uh, Britain's not Absolutely, absolutely. That's, uh, yeah. They put the theme at the end of the variations, you know, and, uh, yeah. and that's, yeah. I mean, my piece is not a theme and variation piece, but it can have that feel to it, where you start with the variations and then you coalesce into something right. much more... Uh, Right. Inclusive. But, I mean, modern, like, yeah. Thematic. Why did it ever make sense to uh, have an exposition before you have developed? Like that, that could be the 20th century argument, you know? Yeah, I mean... It, why yeah. shouldn't, you shouldn't you develop something first <laughs> and yeah, then I mean, make your statement? It's part of the strategy of, you know, smoke and mirrors and hiding and, and all that, that is very 20th century. Yeah, yeah. But in either, in either case, the question would remain, you know, when we listen to a development section, is one way to listen to a development section to sort of listen slower? A development section listens slower. To listen, to hear a melody popping out from on top of each of the motives that's breaking. Oh, apart. I see. You know. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, in, in tonal idioms, you also have what's going to throw everything out of whack, this narrative that you're putting forth is, is, is uh, harmonic rhythm. Because harmonic rhythm is usually pushing against that. I mean, right. in, in, a in a development, it, ten it tends to be slower. So it stays there for a second as things are developed. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas if you yep. have like your, your you know, archetypical theme for variations, the harmonic rhythm changes chord to chord. Yes. So uh, that's, that's the type of, you know, um, uh, paradox that is so rich in tonal idioms and in the classical and romantic style. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. how harmonic rhythm and thematic rhythm are at odds with each other. Right. I think. Fruit, so fruitful for comparison right. anyway between, yeah, totally. let's say, the, the first half of the 20th century and end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. Yeah. What, what makes those similar or different in terms of breaking things up and, and how we the ways that we can process that broken up texture. Can you ask that again? I, I, I don't think I fully grabbed the question. Oh, um, for example. Is that, a, is that a question? Yes. Um, yeah, but or not it, one. It was a closing comment. It was a, it was a closing comment. <laughs> that, it, it's, a, it's a question I wouldn't be prepared to answer today myself. But. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go do some research, okay. Right, yeah, yeah. So we'll leave, we'll leave that to you, uh, gentle viewers. Um, <laughs> tell me about the whistling. So I whistle a whole bunch of my part. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whistling, there's a lot of whistling in your part. There's whistling Emma, uh, the flute whistles too, um, percussion whistles too, and Carrie whistles too. And, and that comes from, um, in the movie, there's whistling. Like, I think there's some other movie that goes, and it's whistled. 
Whistling is a very tango thing to do, too. And um, also there's this sort of like a theatrical element to it that when you have a tango singer that is being accompanied by guitarists, and maybe this goes back to the duo version, there's this sort of like theatrical cabaret element, since we were talking about early 20th century cabaret style, that, you know, the, the, the guitarists sometimes, co sometimes comment on what the singer is doing and, and whistle, too. So um, it comes from that. It's almost a stylistic trait. So is there lots of whistling in, like, old, like, Guardia Vieja recordings of tango? I'm not a specialist on Guardia Vieja, but whistling is, it's, it, to me, it, it brings me back to some, some kind of like, it, it's a trope of tango, you know, the whistling. Okay. It's maybe, yeah. maybe not the actual whistling in recordings, but it's a trope of tango. You it's know? A, okay, right, you know? cool. As, yeah. as meaning, you know, uh, um, good life um, and, you know, yeah. peace of mind, you're just like whistling through, kind of like, type of things, you know, and it's yeah. something that it's, um, it's a signifier of, of, of happiness and well-being. So connected to our uh, discussion of style, it's like whether, whether the style is contained in a box or whether the style is going on the whole time, there's also a ghost of style coming out of the whistling from the ensemble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's funny, too. So <laughs> I think it's a, it's a good thing to do if, if, the, if the performers can do it. It's something fun. I mean, I don't go into yeah. like virtuoso whistling. I mean, it's, it's usually kind of like sustained notes or glisses. Right, right. Yeah. But there's yeah. also in the, in the piece itself, and this is maybe a Schubertian situation, there's, there's a lot of reference to the wind, um, viento in Spanish. So mm -hmm. there's all this musical material that relates to the wind, and whistling is one of those things. There's a um, thunder tube also that takes place. There's whistling inside the thunder tube. So there's, you know, this development yeah. on the idea of wind, which yeah. is very cartoonish. It's kind of like sound effecty, yeah. um, which is what radio soap operas of the time used to do. You know, you would have a crowd, yeah. a crew of people, background, maybe a little bit farther away from the, from the mic, doing all these sounds and maybe playing some background music. And the ensemble right. works a little bit like that in this piece. That's yeah. noisemakers, you know, yeah. mood makers in a way, creating the environment for what the actors were doing on the mic. Yeah, exactly the kind of thing that I like. <laughs> That's why I wrote the first piece for you, my <laughs> So you play guitar. I do. And often when when we're rehearsing, I will hand you my guitar and you'll show me on my guitar the thing that you want to happen in a particular spot. So you can play everything in, in all of your guitar parts. Um, so I have, I have a little complex of questions here for that might be of particular interest to composition students. So do you write on the guitar? Um, uh, yes. I, the guitar part, I write on the guitar because... Um, as part of this sort of like uh, game or strategy, in order for me to have like a productive relationship with the instrument, I need to detune it. Um, there's a scordatura that I usually use so that I can't just, you know, let my hand dictate what I want to write, you know? So I have to, there's this sort of like obstacle that to me it's very productive when writing for guitar. Um, so when I'm writing for guitar, I need to actually play the thing because I can't really 
um, because I have no command over the scordatura yet, or I have less command over the scordatura yet. I see, I see, okay. Um, do you, do you play other instruments when you are writing for them? Do you write on other instruments? I do not. No, I usually, I usually imagine if, if it's something that it's a little bit out of the, out of the ordinary, I, I imagine the sound. Like I, 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 use, I use my voice quite a bit when I'm composing. Um, and then, you know, hopefully reach out to one of, of, of the instrumentalists and being like, how do you do like this sound <laughs> on a flute? How do you do that on a viola? How do you do it on a percussion? You know? So I, I kind of have the sound in mind. And then yeah. we start a sort of like a negotiation with the, um, with the performer to see how, what's the best way to do that. So then do you feel like writing, when you write for the guitar, do you then feel like the guitar has a say over the music that you write in a different way? Because you're, you, you, you know, if normally you're singing the music to yourself, so the music yeah. is coming out of you and then maybe you're adjusting that to fit to a you know clarinet or viola or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, when you're playing guitar, to an extent, you're asking to, to some extent, you must be trapped into asking the guitar, you know, what note can happen here at this moment, yeah. right? That 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 inevitably is going to happen from composing on the instrument. So then, do you feel like that affects the music in some larger way? Um. I can be way more specific with the guitar part, really. Um, so that, let's say, so I can try things more immediately. Um, I, I'm not sure how that asked, that impacts the, um, you were saying the overall? Yeah, form? maybe maybe I could ask, uh, I'll ask the question in uh, absurdly metaphoric terms. So Please. you usually you're singing to an instrument and you're telling the instrument to sing what you sang to it. Yeah. I think when you, when you compose on an instrument, there's an aspect of the instrument singing to you and telling you what to write. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really, a really nice way of putting it, but, but it has to be an instrument that I'm not entirely familiar with, you know, because I'm, I'm still discovering possibilities for this tuning. Um, right. Because you're, you're, you, you, you are actually very, very familiar with guitar and standard tuning. I've heard you pick up the guitar and yeah, play bits of jazz standards and stuff like that. Yeah, free improv, all the stuff that I've been doing, you know, through my performer years. So that's very much yeah. ingrained. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and with this new tuning, there's all these different things that, that you have to basically create a tradition for that tuning. It feels a little bit like that, you know. So I'm yeah. still get, I'm already kind of getting, getting on a certain vocabulary for that specific tuning. Yeah. So I, I, when I get when I get too familiar, maybe I'll change it or something. But yeah. I'm still I'm still in that process. And the first time I used that tuning was in one Baroque, the piece you were mentioning before. Um, and then it made it into the guitar quartet, guitar duo with soprano, and now this piece. So it's 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 pretty standard by now. I I do something very similar when I improvise. I often just detune the guitar mm. some way. Yeah. that I think, okay, this is an interesting relationship between strings. And then I'm doing the whole improvisation to an extent I'm asking the guitar, you know, and the guitar is telling me things to do because, yeah. because it's not, um, 
I I can no longer just play Steve Morse licks or Eric Johnson licks <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> such an interesting guy to bring into the mix. <laughs> yeah. Not that I can play Steve Morse or Eric Johnson licks particularly well, but you know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. That there, there are things that are just sort of in my hands yeah, totally. that are a problem, but they're not a problem if I've untuned the guitar. Yeah. Um, and I had a similar experience doing a thing. I, I was working with this dance company and, and we were imp- improvising and I was, you know, playing, you know, what I usually do in free improv, but it wasn't flying. And then I had to basically put the guitar, you know, uh, on my lap and play like a slide guitar so that I would get something, you know, I would get more in the, in the mood of the dancers, you know, because I was kind of like dancing too, you know. Otherwise, right. I was playing, you know, the usual chords, you know, via Lobos type situations up and down. Yeah, and whatnot. yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So there has to be that, you know, that, that sort of like gesture to provide yourself with an obstacle to allow yeah. for a certain type of creativity to, to arise. So can I ask one more sort of technical question along those lines? Um, yeah. So this, when you this interview is going to last like five hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good uh, so yeah. also Thank you, you... Igor, for for you know combing through all this. Yeah. Right, and uh, I'll, I'll I'll let you maybe think of a closing thought for us because this this is not going to be a closing thought. This is okay. a this is way in the weeds. So let's say in part to resist that to make sure that you are one of the singers in this relationship with the guitar, you must be, when you, when you pick up the guitar, you must already have an idea, or, or is this the way that you work, that you, you already have a clear idea of what the piece is gonna be. Maybe you have a clear idea of pitch content. Maybe you have a clear idea of, I don't know, uh, rhythmic gestures or timbres or something before you pick up the guitar so that the guitar isn't just completely deciding what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's one step prior to picking up the guitar, which it's usually very abstract. Um, and for me, it involves uh, the combinatorial strategies with, of pitch and rhythm. You know, so you end up with, some, with a kind of like very abstract type melody. Um, and then I take it from there so that, you know, there is some kind of rhythmic and uh, pitch structure that then I, you know, I adjust to, in this case, guitar soprano and eventually, you know, guitar soprano, flute, viola and percussion. Right. But yeah, yeah it, it, I have something before that I, I've done yeah. without an instrument in my hand. Yeah, you know how to show up to that negotiating table with the guitar, so it does Exactly, it's like, yeah, I have something. That <laughs> yeah. I have leverage. <laughs> Think, I have never thought of this in these terms, but it's very interesting. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> So uh, those are all of my questions. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to us. Bye-bye. See you. See you, Tomas. It was some...